From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Sophia Osborne, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news from across Canada and around the world. Have you ever heard the name Schaefer before? The name might ring a bell, especially if you live near the Canadian Rockies. Buildings and hiking trails alike share this namesake. In this archive piece from January 2018, my fellow Terra informer Amanda Rooney and I talked to University of Alberta photography historian and professor Dr. Colleen Skidmore about this pervasive figure and why she's memorialized. But before we dive into that, there's lots happening in the province of Alberta related to the environment this month. So for those of you listening here in Alberta, here's what's happening. The Pembina Institute will be hosting the Alberta Climate Summit for the third year in a row in Calgary on September 26th, starting at 8 a.m. The Climate Summit is a public event, but is also quite expensive. Corporate tickets are $575 per person, government and academia tickets are $450, and everyone else is permitted entry at $280. Why so pricey? Probably because the Climate Summit will be bringing policy analysts, officials, and technocrats from industry, government, and environmental NGOs, as well as Indigenous and rural communities from Alberta and around the world, all together to talk climate change and energy in Alberta. For those on tighter budgets or without an institution that will pay for you to attend, there are a bunch of events happening across the province in conjunction with the Climate Summit for what has become known as Alberta Climate Week. A few of these include, from September 20th to 22nd, Cultivating Connection, Museums and the Environment. It will be a conference exploring, you guessed it, the connections between museums and the environment in Canmore, Alberta. On September 24th, which is also my birthday, um, in Edmonton, Alberta, from 12 to 1.30 p.m. at Edmonton City Hall, there will be The Road to 100% Renewables, a public conversation between Edmonton's Mayor Don Iveson and the mayor of Georgetown, Texas, Dale Ross, who is especially noted for being a steadfast conservative Republican who has worked to transcend partisan politics and transform Georgetown into the first city in America to run on 100% renewables. That sounds pretty cool. And best-selling author and speaker George Marshall will be appearing in speaking events across the province at the Alberta Climate Summit, but also independently on September 25th in Calgary at 9.30 a.m. at the Arts Commons, and September 28th in Edmonton from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Grant McEwen University. George Marshall will be speaking about the Alberta Narratives Project, a year-long community initiative that engaged more than 500 Albertans to uncover new ways of talking about climate and energy in our province. Quote, Participants will build practical skills to address polarization, design, and deliver effective climate energy communications that speak to what people truly care about and be warned of the language and approaches to avoid in Alberta. End quote. If you missed the exact dates and times or want more information on any of these events, you can Google 2018 Alberta Climate Summit to find all the information on the Climate Summit and related events across the province, and there are more than we mentioned on the Pembina Institute's website. In addition to events sponsored by the Pembina Institute, on September 20th, there will be a symposium on the future of food, eating in the Anthropocene, held at the University of Alberta in Humanities Center L1 from 5 to 8 p.m. 
Topics include Cowgate, meat eating and climate change denial, new meat technologies in the Anthropocene, and a secret gastronomical research creation project about the future of food. If you live near the Rocky Mountains, you might have heard the name Schaefer before. One of the residences on the University of Alberta campus is called Schaefer Hall. There's a hike in Jasper by Malign Lake called Mary Schaefer Loop, and there's a ballroom named after Mary Schaefer in the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. You might be wondering who was Mary Schaefer. University of Alberta historian of photography, Dr. Colleen Skidmore, asked herself this same question before she embarked on writing her latest book, Finding Mary Schaefer, Women, Wilderness, Photography. Amanda Rooney and I spoke with Dr. Skidmore to gain more insight into who Mary Schaefer was and why we still know her name today. You know, I think in the past, photographs have been sort of invisible to us because we take them for granted and we just look at them and Mm -hmm. think we know what we're seeing. But they're actually so interesting and complex and, and they last from historical moment to historical moment. Mm. Uh, yeah, we don't often think of them that way. Living in the mountains Counting days one by one The sky at night Looks so black and empty My name is Colleen Skidmore, and I'm a photography historian and a professor at the University of Alberta. Okay, so you recently released a book called Searching for Mary Schaefer, Woman Wilderness Photography. Can you tell us a bit about this book and what inspired you to write it? Um, Searching for Mary Schaefer has, um, has a long history. It was just published in September 2017 by the University of Alberta Press, but I spent probably a decade or more working towards writing the book, uh, which I started writing two or three years before it actually came out. And where it began, when I was first appointed at the University of Alberta in the 1990s, I was out in the mountain parks, renewing acquaintance with the mountain parks. I'd moved here from Vancouver. So it was great to get back into the mountains. And I was in Jasper, and I was in the Jasper Park Lodge, and they have a ballroom there called the Mary Schaefer Ballroom. And I said, who is Mary Schaefer? And over time, when from time to time when I had a moment, I would kind of look up something about her. And there were a few books out there. Um, and they presented Mary Schaefer as a woman from Philadelphia who came out to Banff, or the Banff area, uh, was a writer, a photographer, and an explorer, which was very interesting. And it was especially interesting to me, the photography piece. I specialize in um, women in photography particularly in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And I'm really interested in how women used photography to create ideas and knowledge, and also how photography shaped ideas about women at the time. Mm -hmm. So to discover this photographer in my new backyard was very exciting. Can I ask what you found out about Mary Schaefer and how she used photography? Yes, who is Mary Schaefer, Mm -hmm. essentially, yes, Mm -hmm. and the search for her. Mary Schaefer was a woman 
of um, an average education who came from a background in Philadelphia. She was living in Philadelphia at a historically important moment. Philadelphia was the center of photography in the United States after it was invented in France and Britain. Philadelphia is also the cultural center of the United States. It is where um, so much science and discovery took place. And it is where Quakers, there was a, a, a Quaker community there that she was part of who were very interested in the natural sciences. And so she was in the right place at the right time. Uh, she participated in photography societies as well as uh, science societies, uh, geological societies, the natural um, history society and so forth in Philadelphia. And as part of that, she became very interested in botany. Um, her husband at the time was a physician, but he was an amateur botanist. So that was her background. And she was trained as a painter, but she learned how to make photographs. And she learned how to make photographs that were useful to scientists, that had a lot of detail, that were well lit, that were well framed, well shaped, so that a scientist or somebody with an interest in botany could look at, at a flower or a mushroom or a tree and understand something about it. So one summer in the late 1880s, she and her husband Charles Schaefer um, went out to Banff. Now the railway had just opened to tourists, as you know, in 1886. So they traveled from Philadelphia to New York by train and then train to Montreal, train to Toronto, and then it was a week by train across the continent to get out to Banff. So this was not an easy thing to do. Uh, but that was the first summer from then until 1912, Mary Schaefer went out every summer until she moved there permanently in 1912. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting that she came all the way from Philadelphia and mm -hmm. came up to Canada mm -hmm. annually. Yeah. <laughs> and she wasn't alone, nor was he. There were a number of um, people with an interest in science from the Philadelphia area who began to make this trek to Banff at the time. Nobody had studied the alpine flora of the region. So that's what the Schaefers took on as their project. And so um, every summer they went out, they collected specimens. She did drawings as well as um, photographs. And, and that became a major project for them. Uh, there were others, uh, the Vox family, who went out there. They started glacier studies, for example. They noticed glaciers receding, so they started studying that kind of thing. The Burgess Shale and so forth. So, so science became very interesting to people in the mountains. Um, for the Schaefers, in 1903, Charles Schaefer died, uh, still fairly young man, uh, in his 60s, uh, so that's a relative yeah. thing, I guess, but um, it was unexpected, and um, it, probably from the shock of some financial setbacks, uh, there had been a recession, and, and uh, a lot of people were suffering financially. Mary Schaefer, the following summer, returned to the Rockies, encouraged by friends to continue the work and their ambitions to produce the first botany manual for uh, the Rocky Mountains of Canada. And so that's what she went on to do. And in fact, her first book uh, was an, an alpine f uh, floral 
um, uh, book, and it was very well received. She had, I think, over 100 images in it, which were both painted and photographed by herself. And then the scientific descriptions of all of these various uh, flowers, uh, totally outside my realm of expertise, um, that that uh, uh, another colleague in Philadelphia stepped up to write alongside with her. And it was very successful. And it established her credentials as an amateur but serious uh, uh, scientist, explorer, and, and writer. Hmm. Um, did you, were you, when you were doing your research, were you able to look at one of these copies of, like, this first book that she published? Yes, that is such an interesting question <clears throat> because um, I did look at the first editions of her book. Her second book, which she published in 1911, was called Old Indian Trails of the Canadian Rockies. And it is the one that um, uh, made her very well known in Canada and the United States and a bit in London uh, and is what her fame today still rests upon. But what's interesting was um, she died in 1939 in Banff. And uh, when she died, um, her, her second husband there um, gave their, their home there, uh, which is still there, Teriwa, mm -hmm. uh, to a friend and stayed in that friend's family for a long time. And it was when the, the friend's family was selling the property in the late 1970s that, and they were clearing out the house that it was discovered that her, her papers and her photographs and her lantern slides were in the attic or mm -hmm. in the upstairs. And so the White Museum of the Canadian Rockies heard about this, and they gathered up those materials. And so that's why we even have anything beyond the books about Mary Schaefer. So in 1980, they published a book in the book which had a biography about Schaefer. They also republished the text of the, the original book. And so that's why people have been able to read it. But, but what was different was they, weren't, they, they deliberately didn't reproduce the same photographs. Um, because when Schaefer published, you couldn't publish color photographs, but in 1980 you could. So they very clearly said, these aren't the photographs, but here are some other photographs. And so, so it was a very, a very wonderful um, production. But when you go back and read the original first edition and the way she used photographs to tell her memoir, her story, was very different. And so it gives you a different sense of the story and what she did. And so my book, when, when I was trying to figure out, well, how do I, who is Mary Schaefer? How do I figure out who she is? She's clearly not this romanticized woman off the beaten path by herself doing amazing things. She was part of a large group of people in the Rockies. I read her book, and her themes were women and gender, masculinity and femininity, and women's roles. Uh, wilderness was a big part of that. And then photography was such a means of, of expressing but also narrating her stories. And... Uh, so that's, that's how this book um, took its shape. What did she face as a woman during that time period? I feel like when we think about explorers during that time period, we definitely don't mm -hmm. think of women. Um, mm -hmm. What was that like for her, I guess? Well, that's it. That's it exactly. And we certainly, we don't, and they didn't. So for her and her female colleagues, and there were a lot of women in the Rockies doing science or being tourists or... Um, exploring, hiking, climbing. First ascents were done by women quite often. Um, but there was very much a cultural understanding that wilderness and exploration was a masculine place and, and endeavor. And for Schaefer, in the way she tells her story, was this sense that women were constrained as tourists, staying close to the CPR, 
being in the, 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 the camp, camping areas that were close with the amenities. And after so many years of travel, she and um, some of her women friends really were kind of straining at the bit. They wanted to go out into the backcountry too. They wanted to explore places that other uh, Euro-North Americans, non-Indigenous people hadn't seen yet. And so her work uh, is very much within the the tone of the time, the stereotypes of gender. Um, She uses a lot of humor, (laughs) self-deprecatory humor, um, but also talks about, you know, the the constraints that women felt uh, and then how she overcame, oh, she didn't overcome them so much as challenge them and decide to have a more ambitious kind of of journey and found... um, uh, guides, male, the, the uh, non-Indigenous guides and outfitters were all men. She found men that were willing to take women groups out, and she found other women who were interested in, in more rigorous journeys who longed to do this, and she made it happen. It sounds like she made kind of like a space for women to enter in to the field with a little bit more... Um, Gusto, I guess. I'm not sure. I think you express that very well. She did create a space. Um, and that's probably one of the things that distinguishes her. There were many women there, like I say. Schaefer is distinguished not because she was doing something other women weren't doing. She wasn't. But what distinguishes her is that she created a big public profile through her writing, through the way in which she created a persona of herself as the exploring woman. And and through that, she wrote a book that was very popular. Um, but she also imagined things, and she she was ambitious, and and she also had a kind of personality. According to um, one of the women who traveled with her, Molly Adams, Adams would talk about Schaefer's personality compared with her own, and 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 Schaefer was clearly an extrovert. She was clearly someone with confidence, and uh, who knew what she wanted, and was determined. Uh, to get that. And, and she did that, and it made it possible for other women as well. Do you think that Mary Schaefer has had an influence especially on women today? Oh, yes. What's interesting, in the, and I guess the, the, the two points that I find very interesting about that is, first of all, most of the women I've talked to to this point, and some men as well, find themselves, they, they feel they identify with Mary Schaefer, the private woman. She did say in a letter many years after her husband died that while her book talked about her story of the journeys, she went there looking for peace. But the piece that I find interesting, and I think it seems to me that I, that, that women would find even more um, marvelous about Schaefer and more encouraging to themselves is to understand that she was ambitious, she was educated, she worked hard. She imagined something, and she made it happen. And that her work subsequently actually made a difference in the world. And I think that's very exciting. Now, why does her work matter comes out of that. So what did she do that made a difference? Is She, through her writing and through her photographs, created a concept and an idea of what the Rockies were as both a place and as a an idea. She kind of crafted an idea of what wilderness was like through that and made it something uh, very interesting and possible for people to imagine themselves traveling to the Rockies, 
taking wilderness journeys uh, and doing scientific study in that particular area. Another thing she did, though, was she understood that, as many people did at the time, that wilderness was not an unpeopled place, that indigenous people had lived there for millennia, that while it was not permanently settled, there was a transient human presence that was continuous. She did make some photographs that are among the most unique of the time that have attracted the attention of scholars because they do not take up the idea at the time of Indigenous people as a dying race. And that kind of anthropological picture you get of people in, the, in, in what were considered um, traditional costumes, her photographs gave a real sense of the humans there and that you could tell that there was sort of an interaction that took place. But then in contradiction to that, her work, uh, by showing her connection with Indigenous people, it does give a sense that their knowledge about their traditional territories was shared with Schaefer. Schaefer takes that to Euro-North American people and in doing so claims it as a Euro-North American place and landscape. And then possibly inadvertently, it's certainly contradictory, kind of effaces the presence of Indigenous people in that landscape. So the work is very complex. Yeah. While it's showing a place, it's also disguising or hiding a place. And that's one of the most interesting things to me about photography and photographs, is not just what it literally shows, but what's not visible in the photograph. Can you um, elaborate a little bit more on the relationship between Arthur Wheeler and Mary Schaefer? Arthur Wheeler was a surveyor for uh, the federal government. And so part of his job were to go out into the mountains and, and chart them, map them, bring them into our knowledge uh, as part of claiming that environment. Now, he was an exact contemporary of Mary Schaefer. I think they were born within a year or two of each other and died within four or five years of each other. Um, and if we go back to the concept of wilderness being a masculine place and endeavor, and tourism being where women were allowed to be, um, Arthur Wheeler and Mary Schaefer were there at the same time, and while she was pushing against convention, he was in fact pursuing convention. Schaefer got to Moline Lake first. She then was, um, and then she published about it. So that, to publish about a found lake, um, and she she made it very clear she did not discover that lake, and that's a very at the time male kind of thing or masculine. But she found it because she acknowledged that um, indigenous people knew that lake long before and had helped her find it. Um, but she published a couple of articles, and then her book came out in 1911 about her quest to find Moline Lake. Um, and then what happened was the Geological Survey of Canada, uh, for whom Arthur Wheeler was working as well, contracted Mary Schaefer, who was not a surveyor, to go back to Moline Lake and chart it. She had named some of the surrounding landmarks for the people that had helped her get there. So there's Mount Mary Vox. Mary Vox was a, a photographer in Philadelphia who really encouraged her to, to keep going after her husband died. Um, there's Samson Peak and Leah Peak, and this is for the Beaver family, the 
indigenous family who helped her find the lake. And uh, so she went out, she surveyed the lake, having never surveyed before. Uh, she brought it back to the society, she brought back her names, the Geographic Board of Canada approved her names. And Arthur Wheeler, in a very public display of peak, disagreed. He felt that even though Mrs. Schaefer was just this, you know, very, very competent, that he did not feel her names were appropriate. And a lot of that, again, had to do with the clash of gender and gender expectations. And she had, she kind of one-upped him. She had gone from this sort of hunter of peace idea into actually an internationally recognized and respected uh, explorer and scientist. And he found that difficult. That's interesting. <laughs> I feel like you see that sometimes reflected today. What, um, you know, I don't know, when I guess like... Uh, um, men or people who have got privilege when um, someone uh, with less privilege, I guess, uh, kind of starts to like play up around their level. It feels like a bit of an attack, I guess. Yeah, it can. It, yes, you, you can see that. And, and quite often, and, and we still, it still happens today, that because there's still so much a sense of the authority of the male voice, right, uh, that a woman could say the same thing and not be heard. And it happens often. Mm-hmm. I remember in my, some of my grad seminars, you know, the women students would say something, but until a male student said it, it, it didn't resonate as truth. So you're, you're making that connection to now, I think, is really interesting because it shows how if we were to read history and reread Schaefer in a different way, it can help us understand some of the things going on today. And, and more importantly, not the answers, but what questions we could be asking. Mm-hmm. Answers will be different, but what questions could we be asking? Yeah. So you finished up this book and published it about Mary Schaefer now. What's next for you? What I'm hoping to do next is then step back quite a bit. I'll be leaving the mountains, sadly. Uh, I do want to look at a a history of uh, women camera workers in Canada in the first hundred years of photography. Um, There are are traces in archives right across the country of women who were making photographs or working in photography studios from about 18... Photography was invented in 1839 officially, and it was about 1840, 1841, when women first come into the historical record of making photographs. So my next big project will be a history, a study of, of those women from Vancouver Island to uh, Newfoundland and, and up into the, uh, the, the north, the Arctic. Sounds awesome. Yeah, a big undertaking. Yeah. It sounds pretty exciting, though. Yeah. It is so interesting. Archival research is so interesting. If you ever get the chance <coughs> to go in and work with those primary materials and, mm-hmm. and, and piece it together, we're never going to get the truth and the full story. Mm-hmm. But you're able to get some insights into human experience, into how complex it is. I mean, part of what resonated for me and that... Um, makes your show very interesting, I think, is, you know, with environmental issues nowadays, right? So we look back at the time when the parks movements, uh, Banff was the first national park, and the contradictions and complexities of all that that people at the time had about who should be able to use the parks and why, and should there be industry, or should there be hunting, or should there be conservation, and what kind of conservation. And we look at our parks today, and we see how much development is in the parks, Nothing like it would have been had they not been preserved that the way they were. 
So by studying history and then we look at those same questions we're still asking. Today, Malene Lake is still under pressure for development. And um, so understanding that there are no easy answers, but there can be some very thoughtful questions that can help us, help us better make some, the best decisions we can in our own historical moment. That was photography historian and University of Alberta professor, Dr. Colleen Skidmore, speaking to Amanda Rooney and me, Sophia Osborne, about her latest book, Finding Mary Schaefer, Women, Wilderness, Photography. If you want to hear even more stories like that, check out our website at terrainforma.ca. And that's all the time we have for this week's show. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. If you have questions or comments, send us an email to terra at cjsr.com or tweet it at terrainforma. Visit us at terrainforma.ca and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks this week to our contributors Dylan Hall, Amanda Rooney, Charlie Blay, and Hannah Cunningham. I've been your host, Sophia Osborne. Catch you next week.